Are you ready for this? And recording in three, two, one. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to another episode of Uncovering the Truth in Minnesota. I'm Isabel Johnson. And I'm Sarah Neef. And we are your hosts today. <laughs> <laughs> so, Isabel, how was your week? Well, well, you know, first week of our Zoom university. It's great. Yes. Loving it. We're in two classes together, so that's always nice. Yeah, that is nice, but yeah, I keep forgetting about the classes. I have two classes that don't have Zoom, and Mm -hmm. then the rest do, and I keep forgetting about the two that don't have Zoom, like our community and journalism one. I forget about that all the time. Yeah, I like... (laughs) I I pretty much did it all in like three hours because I like kind of forgot last minute. So oh whatever, you literally always are the first person to post on any discussion board or turn in anything. I'm like, are you doing this? You're like, oh, I did this a week ago. <laughs> I was trying to sound cool and like I had a live. <laughs> That's okay. I spent like all weekend on my computer, so it's fine. We're fine. <laughs> But other than that, we're doing great, you know? Doing great. Yeah. It's Um, been pretty windy up in Duluth, so, like, that's kind of nice because I'm not sweating to death. Yeah, it went from 90 degrees to 60 degrees real quick. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not complaining. It's, it's like, sweater weather, and, like, I can break out my candles and fuzzy blankets, and oof. (laughs) There's nothing like it. (laughs) No, but I agree. I have way too many candles, so I, I can't even say anything. I have no, no, nothing to say. I'm just happy I get to wear my hoodies again. Oh, yes. Yes. And a Carhartt hat. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> Are you tossing the outfit I wore to Zoom University the other day? I am literally picturing that in my head right now. <laughs> I was going on a hike, I told you. <laughs> All right. Well, should we get started with this? Um, Let's do it. All right. So just a warning, this episode is kind of a heavy hitter. Um, It has some pretty gruesome details about murder and it involves minors. So if you're sensitive to any of that, just a little bit of a warning for you. Yes, yes. But before we get into that, we wanted to start doing Uh, missing person of the week each week just so that we can bring attention to this person's case and hopefully spread the word and get some help finding them um we're only going to be doing people in the state of minnesota just because we're minnesota based so that seemed to make more sense and sadly there's more missing people in the world than we would have time to do so we're just going to narrow it down to just minnesota cases and like we said if you um know someone or of a case that you think we should cover feel free to email us at uncoveringtruthmn at gmail, and we'll be sure to cover it. So this week, the the missing person that we want to inform you about is Jeanette Ozuna. And Ozuna was last seen September 1st, 2020 at a library in St. Cloud with her group home when she walked away from the group. She is female, four foot, seven inches tall, and approximately 170 pounds with brown hair and brown eyes. It's believed that she's in the Twin Cities area and officials are concerned for her welfare. 
Anyone with information is asked to call the St. Cloud Police Department at 320-251-1200. So yeah, I guess she's wandered away from group homes before, so they're concerned for her mental health and her physical well-being. So if anyone knows anything, give them a call. Yes, yes. So it's really important that every episode we start out with the missing person of the week and if, like Isabel said, if you know anyone that we need to spread the word for, please email us. Or if you don't feel comfortable going to the police, because I know some people don't when they have information, you can even email us information on any of the missing persons and we will do it for you. Because I know sometimes that can be a little scary. Yeah. But um, the topic of the week is the Raker sister murders. Um, so let's get started. Um. Before the Jacob Wetterling case, the disappearance and brutal murder of two young St. Cloud girls rocked the state. It has been 46 years this Labor Day, and the case still remains unsolved. So this is their story. On September 2nd, 1974, Mary, 15, and Susan Raker, 12, left their home in the St. John Cantinas neighborhood at 11.30 a.m. Their destination was the nearby Zaire discount store. The girls left on foot since the store was less than a mile away from their home. Mary, the oldest, was wearing wire-rimmed glasses, blue jeans, a short-sleeved white sweater, brown Oxford shoes, and an army fatigue shirt with raker stitched above the left pocket. Susan, the youngest, was wearing gold-wired rimmed glasses, navy blue corduroys, a white cotton jacket, and low-cut boots. The parents, Rita and Fred Raker, knew something was wrong when the girls did not come home that evening. They called the police to report them missing sometime between 6 and 7 p.m. that same evening. Rita Raker would later tell the press that, quote, We just knew whatever had happened, it was going to change our entire lives. We knew that, end quote. So after 26 long, grueling days of searching, the girls' bodies were found on September 28, 1974, in a local quarry called Waite Park in St. Cloud by a man named Russ Platts and his friend who were rock climbing in the quarry. The older sister... Mary had been stabbed six times and her body was found unclothed on a ledge 40 feet underwater. Her clothes were found strewn around the quarry as if someone had to try to throw them in the water. Her sweater and undergarments had been cut in an unusual manner. The younger sister, Susan, was found fully clothed under a bush and had been stabbed 13 times. All right, so now let's take a look into the investigation. So I'm going to start off by crediting my, uh, my sources. Fox 9 did an extensive investigation on this case, and they have a lot of the firsthand accounts and facts that are in my story, section of the story. And I also found another podcast called Minnesota Mysteries that gave a pretty good broad overview of the investigation. So I used them a lot for the timeline. And my other sources include whatliesbeyond.board.net, CBS Local, and CARE 11. All right, now let's get into it. This case is murky, but there were some things that the police were fairly certain they knew. First, investigators believed that the crime was committed by someone younger, and this was because of the sloppy nature of the crime scene and the cover-up. 
They also believed that there were two perpetrators and that the, cl- the crime was likely committed by someone that the girls knew. So the investigation received its first tip from the manager at the Shopco store that was on the route the girls took. The manager of the Shopco store stated that he saw the girls walking past around noon that day when they went missing. But since that was all the manager knew, the tip kind of ended there. So that left investigators with the Zare discount store. When investigating the discount store, police found a boy who said he had briefly chatted with the girls. This boy's name was Jacob Younger, and he was a nearby neighbor. He said that he briefly spoke with the girls at the store around 1 p.m. Younger stated that he then saw the girls walk towards the store's grocery section. This was strange to him because the section was closed due to Labor Day, but the women's coat section was in the same area, so that might have been why the girls went in that direction. Younger also told the police that he knew one of the store employees was a friend of a boy that Mary had dated. He told the police that he also noticed a large, nervous-looking man outside the store around the time that the girls left. Younger would later tell the press that he remembered hearing Susan tell Mary, quote, I don't want to go with that man. I don't like him. Let's not, end quote. So then another witness comes forward, and they say that they saw the girls with two men and a handful of other teenagers near a tavern shortly after Younger says he spoke with the girls at the store. And they knew that they, they were the Raker sisters because they remember specifically seeing Raker stitched on the clothing of one of the girls. So a bit later, a few people that lived near the Waite Park quarry said that they saw the girls headed in the direction of the popular swimming area. The police searched the girls' home for clues, and they found a chilling diary entry from Mary Raker the night before Labor Day. The entry reads as follows, quote, should I die, I ask that my stuffed animals go to my sister. If I am murdered, find my killer and see that justice is done. I have few, a few reasons to fear for my life, and what I ask is important, end quote. So in my opinion, that's pretty disturbing for a 15-year-old girl to write. Um, when I was 15, I was not writing things like that in my diary. Mm, no, so, me either. <laughs> <laughs> um, this kind of confirms that at least one of the sisters believed that they were in danger before they left for the store that day. And this also contributes to the investigator's idea that the girls were killed by someone that they knew and that the murder was not random. So now that we know a little bit about the investigation, let's look at the suspects. Now, all of this is alleged because nobody was convicted of this crime. So all of these facts are alleged unless I state a specific case in which they were convicted. So let's just remember that. Yeah. Um, And also, we cannot, we have opinions. We have an opinion on who we think did it, but for legal reasons, basically because we don't want to be sued, we can't state it here. (laughs) And for journalistic purposes, we don't want to be biased, so we're going to let you guys make all your own decisions. I'm just going to give you the facts as they are. So we will not be naming the first suspect that we talk about today, and this is because he has been cleared from all allegations of this case, which means he's no longer a person of interest. When you should be hearing his name, instead you will hear a little beep, and that's just to cover it up. We can, however, name the rest of the suspects because their allegations have not been cleared yet, which means they are still active person of interests. So the first suspect is the boy that worked at the discount store. Remember the one that was the friend of one of Mary's ex-boyfriends. His name is 
and he lived six blocks from the Rakers at the time of the murder. Was dismissed as a suspect, but years later, he was sentenced to life in prison for stabbing an eight-year-old girl to death in a drunken rage in Colorado. According to a CARE 11 article, the knife that was used to kill was the same type of knife that killed the Raker sisters. Was also charged after he was accused of kidnapping a woman and her child in St. Cloud and forcing her to drive a car at knife, knife point and sexually assaulting the woman. And she only managed to escape with her child after she drove off of the road. So the charges were dropped for that attack and he was never convicted of that. Um, but he was convicted of the stabbing. So that's kind of why those charges got dropped is because he was already going to, he already had a life sentence. So, um, denied having anything to do with the death of the Raker sisters. And he told Kara Levin that he passed a polygraph regarding the sisters' murders. But the exact reason why police dismissed him as a suspect is not known to the public. So there's that. Um, I kind of dug through a lot of the stuff and I, couldn't find any really mention of him. I only found one article that used his name. So all the rest just kind of blow right past him. But I wanted to give you guys some context. And the police did dismiss him as a suspect, but I couldn't find anywhere that said why. So another suspect on the list is the Rakers priest, Reverend Richard Eckroth. He was 75 at the time, and he was a monk at St. John's Abbey in Collegeville. So two years prior to the murder, Eckroth had taken the girls along with other church youth to a lakeshore cabin. And victims later came forward stating that Eckroth had sexually abused them at these cabin retreats. Eckroth eventually became a suspect in a sexual abuse charges involving several children at the St. John Abbey Church that lasted decades. He was placed on a list of credibly accused priests in 2002 and examinations done on Eckroth in 1993 advised that he had no unsupervised contact with minors. When Eckroth was questioned by the police about the Raker murders, he denied all involvement and passed a polygraph test. But it's important to remember that this is the second polygraph test we've mentioned, and it's now come to light that these tests are not always accurate, whether they come back inconclusive or that the person's lying or that they're not lying. Um, there's a lot of ways for them to not be accurate, so let's just remember that. I think um, that was a grain of salt. Yeah. Uh, however, Rita Raker, the girl's mother, told the press that she does not believe Eckroth is guilty. Eckroth died in 2015 with the allegations of sexual abuse against children following him to his grave. He was never officially convicted of any crime. Our final suspect is Herb Notch. According to a Fox 9 article from 2018, Rita Raker, the girl's mother, believes that Notch killed her daughters. Notch was born in October 1958, which would make him 16 at the time of the murders, which is around the same age as Mary Raker. Notch first caught the interest of investigators when he was convicted of a similar crime two years after the murder of the Raker sisters. So Notch was convicted of working with a high school classmate, a 17-year-old boy named James A. Wagner, to kidnap a 14-year-old girl named Sue Dukowitz in 1976, who worked at a convenience store that the two robbed in St. Cloud. So the Fox 9 article that we found stated that the two accomplices kidnapped Dukowitz and took her to a gravel pit where they sexually assaulted her. Wagner stated that Notch took out a knife and sliced off the girl's clothing. This is similar to how the clothing of Mary Raker was found. So Wagner said that he was not surprised that Notch had a knife, 
but it did come to a surpri- as a surprise to him when he pulled out the knife and began to stab Dukowitz. And Wagner actually told the press that he um, did not think that taking Dukowitz was part of the plan at all. He thought they were just going to rob the convenience store, and then it was Notch's idea to take her captive and bring her with. So that's just his account, but take that what you will. So Dukowitz managed to fake dead until the two men left, and then she walked the half-mile stretch to the nearest house, and she got help. And she actually survived. But it's believed that Notch had every intention of killing her. Just as a side note, Notch was able to strike a plea deal where he pled guilty to kidnapping and robbery, but the charges of sexual assault and attempted murder were dropped. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I read that and I was like, wait, did I read that right? It almost seems like that shouldn't be a thing. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I can't. Anyway. Notch received a 40-year sentencing for the attack, but he was released after serving 10. And <laughs> Wagner served 7. So that's all I'll say about that, but just saying. And um, after that attack, Notch actually got to move on with his life, and he had a wife and children. So just saying. Anyways, <laughs> um, the Dukowitz case is not the only reason the authorities are interested in Notch. He also worked at the Zare discount store where the sisters were shopping before they went missing. And guess who else worked there? Remember Russ Platts, the guy that found the bodies? Well, he worked at the store with Notch and also attended the same high school as him until 1974. So basically every man in this town works at this store. Is what it's all connected. <laughs> so Platts said that he remembered always seeing Notch play with a knife. And that on Notch's days off, he would sit in his car in the parking lot and just watch people leave the the discount store. So that's what Platt says. We don't know if that's true, but that's what he told um, the press. So Notch also lived in a small town called Luxembourg, which is where the girls would go to visit their grandparents. After seeing the crime scene and hearing the details of the murder, Platt's told Fox 9 investigators that he believed Notch may have had something to do with the murder. So he asked Notch about the Raker girls. And you want to know what Notch's response was? He literally hissed at him. That's it. That's all he said. (laughs) He just hissed. Just a little hiss. (laughs) Yeah. I guess that's that on that. So Fox 9 investigators also found out that Notch was accused of attacks on two other women in the 80s and 90s. But he was acquitted of the rape charges in both of those cases. A psychiatric evaluation done by the courts on Notch described him as, quote, a very dangerous person in the right situation, a homicidal individual, end quote. So Wagner later described Notch as having no remorse when it came to the Dukowitz attack. He said that Notch treated the attack like, quote, hitting a bug on your windshield, end quote. So two polygraphs were done on Notch, questioning him about the Raker sister murders, but both came back inconclusive. However, we have to remember that while creepy and convincing, this is all circumstantial evidence, so there was never any physical evidence tying Notch to the murders, which is why investigators could never charge him. Notch died in 2017 at age 58 of liver failure, but not before Rita Raker had the chance to confront him. So when Rita Raker heard that Notch was at a St. Cloud hospital dying of liver failure, she went to see him and she basically told him who she was and begged him to tell her the truth about what had happened to her daughters. 
he denied ever hurting the Raker sisters and, and asked why Rita could not, Rita Raker could not just put the case behind her. But he did tell her that he was, quote, going to hell, end quote. So Rita Raker states that she believes Notch is guilty of murdering her daughters and that for her, the search for the killer has ended with the death of Notch. So that's the investigation and all the suspects. And now Sarah will go through what we know now. Um, so, yeah, there has been some pretty recent evidence, um, both in 2016 and 2018. There's been some new. Um, the police have new evidence, but it's not has it has not been released to the public. So um, recent evidence was discovered in 2016 that helped move the case along to being solved. But unfortunately, it wasn't enough. As Isabel stated about Notch being a suspect with the similarities between all his crimes he was convicted of and those with the Raker sister murders, we have a few suspects, but unfortunately not enough to convict anyone. Bruce Bechtold, who is the chief deputy of Stearns County Sheriff's Office, stated in a WJON video from 2016 that investigators have evidence but not enough proof to make an arrest. Authorities just need the right person to come forward with the last piece of crucial information. So that's the recent evidence. Um, the county sheriff's office has certain evidence pieces and crucial evidence pieces, I would say, that they have not released to the public. And that is done so if a witness or a suspect even comes forward and either admits to the crime or admits to being involved with the crime and they have certain details that wasn't released to the public, then that'll help convict them or help make sure the evidence is correct. Um, so yeah, that's the recent evidence. Let's kind of check in with Rita Raker since she was a huge and crucial part of the entire investigation of her daughter's murder. Rita and Fred Raker never gave up, gave up the search for their two daughters and tried to help those in similar situations. A Fox 9 article states that, quote, Rita and her husband Fred, who has passed away, made the most of their lives after the death of Mary and Susan. They raised four other children, were active in their church, and founded a support group for parents of murdered children. Rita says a strong faith is the rudder that guided her through a decades-long storm of emotions, end quote. In a March 2020 issue of The Front Row, which is a newsletter put out by Stearns County Sheriff's Office, Rita is shown with Sheriff Sequoida receiving a thank you plaque, and The Front Row article states, Quote, on Thursday, March 12th, Rita Raker attended her final meeting as a board member for Tri-County Crime Stoppers, also known as TCCS. Rita has been a member and volunteer for Crime Stoppers for over 39 years. Tri-County Crime Stoppers was founded in 1981. The money utilized to form this group was donated by Fred and Rita, so they really, really tried to help people of similar situation as them. Quote, they used the reward fund that was established during the search for their daughters, Mary and Susan. Rita and Fred were integral members and supporters of the TCCS group and continued to be involved after Fred's passing in 2012. 
Rita's involvement, support, and work for TCCS is why the group is still here after 39 years. TCC's mission is to promote public participation in the apprehension of criminals and the prevention of criminal activity, end quote. So that's the case. That's the story. Um, That's what is still going on with Rita Raker. And basically, there still is a $50,000 reward being offered for information leading to an arrest. And um, anyone with information about this case is requested to contact Stearns County Sheriff's Office at 320-251-4240 or the Minnesota Bureau of Criminal Apprehension Cold Case Unit at 651-793-7000 or 1-877-996-6222. Good job. That was a heavy hitter. For sure. But yes, I think it's important because um, a lot. Yes, like two of the suspects that I mentioned are dead and one is in jail in Minnesota right now or prison, I should say. But um, it's still important. I mean, there might be pieces of evidence that they haven't even found yet. That mm-hmm. there's five new suspects, you know, you just never know. So exactly. Um, I think it's important that we covered that. So. I do too, you know, especially since like in 2016, I mean, that's only four years ago and the sheriff's office is still saying that like, yeah, we have a lot of information and evidence, but just not enough. So like they still are looking for that last piece, you know, and it could be solved. Yeah. So if anyone knows anything, please, by all means. um, Call that number. Yeah, for sure. And... Oh, I feel like we should come up with, like, a fun way to end them to, like, transition into plugging socials. Like, we should do, like, a Minnesota joke or, like, something making fun of Minnesotans at the end, like a classic. Oh, I like that. (laughs) Just to, like, bring it back to lighthearted at the end. Yeah. Oh, I have a a joke I could ask you. Oh, God. Okay. Sounds good. So you do your, you do your joke then. Okay. Hey, Isabel. Yes, Sarah. <laughs> God. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, which U.S. state has the smallest soft drinks? Which U.S. state has the smallest soft drinks? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Minnesota. Yeah. <laughs> Minnesota. <laughs> But I bet you're smiling right now, aren't you? I am, yes. And all our listeners are smiling after that heavy topic. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I guess we just decided that we're going to start ending every episode with kind of a Minnesota joke or read some stereotypes or just something to do with that, um, just so we can kind of end on a happier note than leaving you guys all depressed because while these are important things... (laughs) Well, these are important things to talk about. Um, it's especially in this time that we're at right now, it's good not to focus on the negative too much, um, just enough to bring attention to it, but we don't want to stay in that place. I'm looking at Minnesota stereotypes, and I just found one that says, everyone in Minnesota knows that caribou is the only way to start the day. <laughs> and then there's Starbucks who? Question mark. Starbucks who? <laughs> and I'm drinking caribou right now, so I thought that was... 
Oh, that's classic. That's great. Okay, well, so you guys, uh, Sarah, do you want to plug our social media? Yes, I do. So we have an Instagram and a Twitter, and both are Uncovering the Truth MN. We post some pretty good stuff. We do a lot of um, missing person like updates and trying to get the word out for stuff. And we also do a lot of teasers and trailers. And especially for this episode, we are posting um, pictures of the two sisters and the suspects. Um, and we kind of will do that every with every episode. We'll post um, some statistics or a picture or something that will help you guys visualize or get into the mood of the episode. So, yeah. Yes. Because unfortunately, we don't have the technology to do visual and podcasts. So <laughs> we're not a YouTube channel. <laughs> no, thank God. Yeah, All right. yeah. <laughs> um, our email once again is uncoveringtruthmn at gmail.com. So you can DM any of our socials or um, you can send us an email if you have a tip at all. We'd be happy to hear from you or anything, really, if you just want to if you want to tell us a funny Minnesota joke to put on the show. We Please. Can do that. Please. Um, <laughs> anything like that. We'd be happy. Um, we'd like to thank our partner, DailyPlanetDC.com. Uh, the Daily Planet. It's a great news platform. Um, lots of entertainment stuff on there. If you're a fan of comics at all, I would highly recommend going and checking it out. Yes. Um, it's not just writing, too. There's a bunch of different multimedia content on there, so it's pretty cool. Um, all right. Well, I think that about wraps it up. I'm sitting on UMD campus right now by myself, so that's fun for me. <laughs> I'm um sitting and staring lovingly into the eyes of my cat. So, Charlie, Princess. Charlie, Charlie. We thought it was a boy for a while, but she is a girl. Sarah got Charlie in March, right when this whole pandemic started, and yes, definitely thought he was a boy or she was a boy. <laughs> and I called, I called her Prince Charles all the time. It was my <laughs> loving nickname. And then one day I get a. Snapchat from Sarah informing me that we were wrong. <laughs> <laughs> she is Princess Charlotte now. <laughs> so, yes, here we are, Charlie. <laughs> Charlie. All right. Well, it's been real. It's been fun. It's been a hoot, guys. Thanks for listening. As always, we appreciate every single one of you. Yes. Because we're small. We're starting out. And we love all of you. Yes, for sure. Um, do not forget to subscribe, comment, like, do all of that stuff. It helps us out a lot. And then hopefully we can get on some more platforms for you guys the more that you do that. Um, that'll help us grow. So, And that's all we really have. So bye, guys. We out. Thanks for listening. Bye. Elmer Jackson.